Did anyone else besides me notice that you didn't really have a talent that you would ever want to bring to a talent show? And by that, I mean, you had a talent show every now and again in school. I don't know if it was more like an 80s thing than a 90s thing because you did have a talent show at my school every now and again. But I always never, always never, oxymoron, whatever. I never wanted to be a part of a talent show because I could never think of what talent I wanted to do for a talent show. I could play an instrument, but I have a healthy sense of stage fright that makes me not want to play an instrument in front of people. If I really want to show off something I learned, then that's what I want to play in front. But if it's like, oh, hey, you are specifically going to be performing this thing in front of a bunch of people, that's where it's an absolute no for me. It's like, otherwise, I can draw, sort of. I can write very well. Can't really show that off as a talent, but I can write. What else? I can make people laugh, but I'm not like a stand-up comedian or anything. I play some sports, but I don't know any good tricks to be able to show off that. And as far as anyone knows, the only people who ever actually really won talent shows were people who could sing very, very well. And you could just about guarantee the singer was the one who's going to win. Or you played an instrument very well. Now, I am the person that does subscribe to the theory that everybody does have a talent. Like, there's, if you say you're not talented, there is a talent out there for you. You will find it. I promise you. There is something that you can do. But I also subscribe to the thought that not everything is a talent that can be showcased to multiple people. But the 90s didn't think of it that way. They thought everything was a talent. And trust me, with this show, everything was a talent. Some things I thought were kind of dull, but... Hey, you got your 15 minutes of fame. I'm sure you were the most popular kid in school. And I'm sure at this point you guys know that I'm talking about the show, Figure It Out. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So let's get into it. What's up, you guys, and welcome back to another episode of the 90s Called Podcast. I'm your host, Jess. Thanks for joining me today, and thank you for joining me on an episode that I am so incredibly happy and excited to talk about, because we're going to be talking about one of the big four kids' game shows from Nickelodeon. We're going to be talking about the show, Figure It Out. Now, when I'm going to be talking about the Nickelodeon game shows, I'm actually going to have it in order of my least favorite to my top favorite. That's not saying that these shows weren't good in their own way. They were really good. They all, they, I love all of them. But this is the way that I would have to rank it. So for me, Figure It Out was my fourth favorite game show for Nickelodeon that I wanted to be on. I'll put it that way. Um, I did want to be on Wild and Crazy Kids, which you know if you listen to the last one. But in terms of the criteria for this top four I have going on is that... If you ask any 90s kid, what Nickelodeon game show did you want to be on? The, this is one of the first four that would pop up. And the other three that I'm talk about as well in their own episodes would be the other ones that came up. Some of the other ones that I mentioned in the previous episode talking about kids game shows in general. Those are the ones that you think about after you get reminded of it. Like I almost forgot of this show, You're On, until I was doing research for the episode. And then it visibly, viscerally remembered in my head... There was a set that had three different pods, or pods, I guess it was a stage, and they were all yellow, and it was red. It had something to do with being on camera, and that's what made me remember, remind me of the show. 
And I'm sure that's the same way for a lot of other people. But Figure It Out was a show that you absolutely cannot forget. So Figure It Out was a kid's game show that aired on Nickelodeon. It was hosted by Summer Sanders originally, and it ran for four seasons from July 7th, 1997 to December 12th, 1999. So the prime time of the 90s, I would say, is when that show aired. And you can kind of tell that too from not only just like the production quality and the video quality, but also from like the way that people were dressing and kind of the sets and things too. That's the mid nineties is kind of like where we really like honed in our own of what the nineties were supposed to be. And it's like a staple from that time. In 2012, the show was revived with Jess Sutphin, who was the host. And that ran from June 11th, 2012 to July 16th, 2013. Figure it out was originally recorded at Nickelodeon studios at Universal Studios, Florida. I have to say it specifically that way because that was the tagline of pretty much every single game show that was made in the 90s for Nickelodeon. I'm pretty sure, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that Summer Sanders' voice was the one that said it for most of the shows. And I don't just mean figure it out, but it could have been like Legends of the Hidden Temple and also for all that and such. But I also could be wrong, so don't quote me on that. So the point of the show is that kids with special skills or special talents or unique achievements competed as contestants where a panel of four Nickelodeon celebrities tried to guess the predetermined phrase that described the contestant's talent. A.K.A. it was a talent show, but they were trying to be guessed what the talent was. The show was actually an adaptation of What's My Mind and I've Got a Secret, which are both panel shows that I had never heard of before in my entire life. So as far as I knew, Figure It Out was like its own entity. After the series stopped airing on Nickelodeon, it then started to have its repeats on Nick Gas until Nick Gas stopped airing its own block in 2007. But then there were lots of episodes of Summer Sanders' version of Figure It Out that aired in 2012 as part of the 90s on that block, which aired on Teen Nick. I actually, I might do an episode on the 90s on that block by itself because that was really exciting time for us 90 kids in 2012 when we heard that it was coming back. I swear, I watched that block every single day when I was at home to watch it on my parents' cable because I couldn't afford it at the time as anybody would know if you're a college student. But I watched it every day. I laughed at all the same jokes. Some of them did fall flat for me. And I was like, why did I think that was funny? But a good amount of it did hold up. So I might do an episode of that by itself because that was an interesting shift in TV at that point. So let's get into the gameplay and figure it out. Each episode has two sets of three timed rounds, which was 60 seconds in length. And then they were actually brought back down to 45 seconds for Figure It Out Series 2, I guess I'll put it that way, with Jeff. I thought that was a little bit too short of time, and I thought 60 seconds was a good amount, especially depending on whether or not you're starting to get an idea of what the talent was from the clues, but that's just me. So the panelists will, within those 60 seconds, take turns asking yes or no questions to try and guess what the contestant's talent was. For every yes answer, then the panelist was able to ask more questions. But every no answer, then the panelists had to end their turn and then it would go to the next panelist. At any point that the panelists can't think of a question on their turn, they can pass to the next person. 
But each time that the panelist mentions a word that is part of the phrase that describes the talent, the word is then turned over at a game board and that was pretty much displaying the puzzle of all of it. It would do that really, really good. Uh, I guess the magical sound of getting it to right, it was like trumpets blaring. Any 90s kid knows the sound of that. I might insert that clip in here. And if I didn't insert it in here, I will at some point or another do an episode about sounds that we all remember and love from the 90s and we'll throw it in there later. Specifically because I also don't know if copyright really is a thing if I played a quick clip of that sound. So we'll figure that out as we go on with this podcast. The game board was referred to as Billy the Answerhead during the original run and is simply known as the It Board in the later adaptation. I will give my comments on the Jeff Sepfin version after I talk about the 90s one. The game board showed the phrases, and when each word was guessed, the blanks would then flip over to explain what the phrase was. But prepositions and articles like of and an were provided automatically, so you wouldn't have to try and guess those words. I don't even know how you would even come to think of how you would give a hint to those words. So early on in the run... They would have it actually where if you said something that was very close to what the word was on the board, then it would be given to you. So let's say you're trying to say the phrase Christmas song, but you said Christmas carol instead. They would have given you the word song because carol is a synonym for that. It was later changed to the panelists having to say the exact word of the contestant's talent in order so it could count. And I do actually like that rule. Because sometimes it would be something where it's like so incredibly close, but you actually wouldn't be on the right path. And that also went with some of the questions that were asked too. Because if the panelist asked a question that the child didn't know how to answer yes or no, they would look at Summer and then Summer would ask the judges and the judges would then say if it was a yes or no answer. And sometimes it was because it was like a trick question or the question wasn't really like worded or phrased correctly or in a very good way to make it discernible so i actually did like the fact that they made it a little bit more specific and strict as times went on so within each round you would get a prize if you ended up stumping the panelists the prize for winning the first round was usually something like a prop from a show that was no longer airing or no longer being worked on for nickelodeon like double dare legends of the hidden temple and guts you also would have merchandise prizes like Nintendo 64s. And trust me, if I ended up playing that game and I was the panel, not the panelist, the contestant, and I'm trying to stump them, and you told me that I ended up winning a gift card for Kids Foot Locker, Toys R Us, or Lowe's, but I also had the opportunity to win Nintendo 64 and they gave that option to another kid, I would have been freaking pissed, dude. Like, oh, don't get me wrong, I would have loved like a $500 shopping spree at Toys R Us where I could buy a Nintendo 64, but to actually win one, I think I would have enjoyed a little bit more. So, if round, okay, that was round one, you also, sending the, the prizes got bigger when you got to round two and you ended up stumping the panelists. And then round three, if you won that and you won the whole show, you would win a trip. Not a trip to space camp, but doing an actual trip to like Jamaica, Montana, the Bahamas. I don't remember any of the ones other than those three, but you know, you'd get a trip. So that was interesting for the game shows that we watched. It was, wasn't a trip to space camp by that point. It was that you could go anywhere else. Um, but the way the game actually ended was when the panelists either guessed the secret talent or if no panelists guessed the, the secret talent correctly after the last guess stage. During each round, 
the panelists would receive a clue as a hint to one of the words of the secret phrase. And the clue would usually be like a physical object or it'd be like a sound or some sort of a, they would shoot something out of a cannon at the, um, at the panelists. And sometimes it would be like messy clues that would blow up in their faces when they open the box or come down the clue train or fall from above or they'd be thrown at them from the audience. And every now and again, there would be the audience would be the clue in some way, shape or form. Then you did also have the the charade brigade, where it was people who were part of the cast of the show. They would be playing charades to have people figure out what it is that the clue that they're trying to do. And depending on how good you are with charades, that could either be very easy or very hard. I am the kind of person that actually really enjoys playing charades because I love guessing games. And again, as we I've said in the previous episode, I am a competitive person. If there's a way for me to win something, I want to play the game. And charades is one of those games I absolutely really love to play as well. If it's, I don't even, I'll play it for fun too. Like I don't have to win something. It's just, it's really fun and really creative to come up with some of the ways that you can do the, the clues for people. I remember in high school we were randomly playing charades one day, and our thing that we wanted people to guess was remember the Titans, and I literally just tackled my sister to the floor because that was the first thing that I could think of. It was really funny, actually, because I could see in her face that she knew I was going to do that before I did it, too. <laughs> okay, so within the game, there were still other things that would make it so that you could or couldn't win if you were the panelist or the contestant. And that's when you had the things such as the Word of Honor, which came up in 2012. And then you did also have the Secret Slime Action. So the secret slime action wasn't anything that made it that the panelist or the contestant won. It's more like someone in the audience was a mini contestant where they were chosen at random. I'm sure there was some sort of way the production did choose these kids though actually. But they were chosen at random and if the panelists did the secret slime action then they won a prize. So in each game from the start of round two then the studio audience member was going to play for a prize which is usually like... Uh, Nintendo 64 or a mountain bike or a piece of clothing. Actually, I think that's the... Uh, that's Okay, that's the other downgrade of a prize for this game is that in the first couple of seasons, if you got the secret slime action, then you would end up winning something actually really cool than Nintendo 64. Later seasons, if you got the secret slime action prize, it was a figured out hat, a figured out jacket, a figured out t-shirt. I would be pissed if I lost a Nintendo 64 to a t-shirt. And I probably would write a very strongly worded letter, because back then it was letters and emails, to try and get something better. But I probably would have raised a stink about that, if I'm being completely honest. But the secret slime action was that one or more of the panelists had to perform the secret slime action for them to win, where the panelists would then be slimed, and then the, the person in the audience would win. So the secret slime action could be anything, really. It could be... You touching a clue, you look in a certain direction, you high five someone using a phrase like are you or is it, looking at the audience, looking at Summer Sanders, saying I don't know, which was a huge thing on that show actually. And there are a lot of times where depending on when the panelist was a celebrity, not on Nickelodeon, but like a legitimate celebrity, like a WWF wrestler or something, then their secret slime action would be guaranteed that they would get it. Obviously, because you want to see these people get slimed. 
but also because you you kind of wanted the kid in the audience to leave with something as well. I will say the secret line action that I never enjoyed was ones that were trying to be funny. And by that I mean is the ones where it's that it'd be things like the secret line action is daydreaming about clouds or something like that. And you can't guarantee anyone was actually doing it, but you want obviously you want to make sure someone was getting slimed. That's kind of the point of the show. But it sucked that they would just choose someone to slime on the count of wanting someone to be slimed for something as stupid and arbitrary as that. So, I mean, that those ones I didn't like, but other ones where they kind of tricked the panelists into doing it, I did enjoy those because it's little things that you wouldn't even think about. Like, do you have something in your hair? And then they would touch your hair because the secret slime action was touching your hair and then they would be slimed. Now, the thing with the sliming too is that they're never quite sure who did the secret slime action. Until after a while, obviously, they would kind of catch on to it. But you were never sure. But you would know the slime is coming because a certain warning sign would go out. And you get maybe two seconds to grab a hat or something to cover your head before you were slimed. And quite frankly, I think that's what made the show so fun for me. And for a lot of people, it was just the slime that had to do with it because I'm not sure people now know this so I apologize if I sound condescending in the 90s Nickelodeon was known for its slime there was Nickelodeon slime everywhere that you could think of anytime they did a live event anytime on a show they had the gack that they actually sold to us kids that I absolutely love playing with when I had my own they had their own Nickelodeon slime that green gloop but I'm pretty sure is vanilla pudding and parsley water that flew all over people. You wanted to be one of those people that had slime put on them. You wanted to be on Nickelodeon so you could get slimed. You wanted to go to the Kids' Choice Awards so you could get slimed. And probably and be able to see all your favorite celebrities, of course. But you wanted to get slimed. And that was a huge part of this show. And one of the bigger draws for me, especially, of wanting to potentially have been there to at least watch it film live. That's not including the fact that I'm sure every kid wanted to go to Florida in the 90s simply because of these shows. So the slime was one of the big parts of it. But 100% the biggest part of this show was being able to see the cast members from our favorite shows act silly and goofy and more like quote-unquote themselves as panelists rather than the characters we knew them as. Being older, I know now that... Obviously, they still had to be quote-unquote on in some way, so they probably weren't really being their quote-unquote real selves. But it was still really fun to see people like uh, Danny Tamborelli, Josh Server, Lori Beth Dinberg, did I Amanda Bynes, Kevin Coppolo, and all the other people who I names I can't remember off the top of my head from a bunch of my favorite Nick shows being on a different show. Like, it was a different world back then. When you Back then, you would see your actor, actress, whatever, on their show and nowhere else. Nickelodeon, they would recycle people onto those game shows, at least for Figure It Out, all the time. And that had been, that was the draw of it. Watching your favorite 90s celebrity get slimed on a game show. Now, the regulars at the time for the regular all that was Amanda, Lori Beth, Kevin, and Danny. Uh, but then you did also have it where you would bring in people from other shows. So you would have... Uh, Irene from Missy Files of Shelby Woo. Yo, I forgot about that show. I loved that show. You would have 
Tara Noah Smith from Home Improvement. You had Cat Dog and really bad CGI from Cat Dog. Cousin Skeeter from Cousin Skeeter, which is another show I absolutely really loved. And like I said, you'd have like legitimate celebrities on there. They had like Aaron Carter, Chris Jericho, like some football person who was I have never heard of in my entire life and probably would never hear from them again. Sorry. I, I just I don't follow sports very much at all, unless it's the X Games. So this football player I don't really know or remember. So there's that. And then there was one episode where Lori Beth did switch with Summer to be the panelist and the host. And that works as well because Summer Sanders was in bleh, I would I didn't say is at the time. I didn't know for sure, but was a Olympic swimmer. And the fact that she was able to host the show, I'm not quite sure how that happened. I don't think any people know either. But the fact that she was able to also be a panelist made it so that she could get the same treatment that she gave the panelists themselves. But it also worked because she could have been a celebrity guest panelist at the time because she was an Olympic swimmer and that could have been part of it as well. So Figure It Out actually did go through a couple of format changes. Um, season three became figured out family style where two or three contestants were related, usually parent, child, or siblings. And then you would have it where at the end, the, when the talent was shown, then the entire family would, you know, do that, whatever talent it was, or explain more about the talent. And then season four was changed to be figured out wild style, which focused on talents that had animals. And then Billy the Answer Head was also reshaped into different animals at the time that I was going as well. Which was interesting. I did enjoy figuring it out to get all together. Family style and wild style I don't think really appealed to me much. But I also don't remember putting much thought into it either. So it doesn't really mean much to me either way. It was a show that I enjoyed simply because I enjoyed trying to play myself. Because at the very beginning of the show, they say, cover your ears and close your eyes. Or they switch it around to be funny. But so that way, when the contestant was explaining what their talent was, you could play along with them by not listening to or seeing any of it. And you could try to guess the same thing. Or you would just have a lot of enjoyment watching the panelists and the celebrities <laughs> try to figure out what it is. Especially later as it got more unhinged in a way. Because you could tell that they were having a blast playing the game. Especially when they were genuinely stumped. Because you simultaneously wanted the contestant to win, but you also wanted the panelists to win. So you kind of wanted everybody to win and to lose at the same time. So it was really fun to watch as it went through. Some of the more famous contestants that were on the show was actually Hunter Hayes, who was on the show when he was six, and his talent was playing the accordion and singing. And then you do also have Sam Roberts, who's a WWE personality, who was on an episode in season two where his talent was flipping quarters off his ankle. Then there was Marcus Stroman of the Chicago Cubs, who was a prize winner in episode 13 of season one. So let's go a little further into Figure It Out, and we'll go into how it changed in 2012. So, in 2012, it was brought back with Jeff Sutphin, and the game pretty much played the same way. They did change... The timing from 60 seconds to 45, they still had the same idea with the panelists of the celebrities from Nickelodeon shows, and then kids who had whatever talent it was that they had wanted to go on the show. And I thought it was good. I thought the set being updated and everything, I thought that was great. 
My only issue was at the time, I didn't enjoy it as much as the original because I didn't enjoy every single show that they had cast members come from. And because I didn't enjoy every show that they came from, I didn't watch all of them. So there are a lot of times where the panelists would be people that I genuinely did not care to watch and couldn't really understand why they may have been chosen. Now, again, this is just my opinion. I'm not saying that these people are bad people or they aren't entertaining. I watched it anytime it was a Big Time Rush cast member episode because I love Big Time Rush. But when it came to Victorious or iCarly or what was that other show that I watched that had to do with the monsters that had Gage Golightly on it. I can't remember the name of that show off the top of my head. But when that when that cast came on, I didn't really care. It, I guess it was more of a matter of it was clear it wasn't a show for me anymore. Because they weren't people that I was actively trying to watch or actively trying to follow. Which then brings in an interesting thought as to, I wonder what the ratings were for that series. Because you would have people that kids would follow on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at the time. Because TikTok wasn't really a thing. Vine was, but TikTok wasn't. So then it makes you wonder, did the, were the ratings higher because people were watching them on their shows but then also watching them online or did it not matter as much just because there wasn't as much syndication and promos for it because when it came to the game shows on Nickelodeon that was literally all you had on Nickelodeon but then you I mean other than like all that and their own shows but they all kind of intertwined with each other with the comedy aspect and you could say the same for the newer shows that came out but then it just didn't seem like it meshed as well. Or maybe it was that I have kid goggles on. It, it is quite possible. I just have nostalgia running through my veins for this one. It's just something for it was a little different for me. And I love Jeff Sutfit. I thought he was a great host. But maybe it's because it didn't feel like he connected with them very much. But I couldn't say for sure that's what it was. Is But it's a good food for thought. Because social media is very prevalent at the time. And I'm sure it had some sort of a push towards what was going on and all the people that they had to be as panelists on it so like I said I was biased on some of them I wasn't on others and I watched it enough but didn't watch it a lot so maybe figure it out was a lot more popular the second time around or I could be wrong because it didn't last as long as the first one and I don't even know how much production costs go into it so who knows because the one thing that I really didn't understand was they were still going the whole slime route, which is great because that was the point of the show. But you didn't really have slime as a thing when it came to Nickelodeon by the time 2012 came around. So it's more like they probably could have been pied in the face more than anything else. And it still would have been a good show. But, you know, that's just me. Now let's get into some of the trivia for Figure It Out. So one of these things is that there is an episode from season two that is missing because it was banned after airing once. And I know I watched this. I promise you I remember watching this. So I was able to watch it and then it is never aired ever again. So this episode was banned because there was a contestant whose talent was leaks inhaled milk from eyes and it was objected by a group of parents even after the don't try it at home disclaimer. So it was never aired again. 
I remember this episode specifically because I remember this kid pushing milk out of his eyes because I have a thing with eyes. So I wear glasses and contacts. I could put contacts in just fine. I could touch my eye just fine, not have an issue with it. I could fish around in my eye to get an eyelash out. That's not a problem. When it comes to other people's eyes, I cannot stand anything having to do with it. I can watch them put contacts in. I can watch them take out an eyelash, whatever. But anything that comes out of your eyes, into your eyes, damages your eyes, cuts open your eye, anything like that, and I will scream. I distinctly remember there was some sort of a horror movie countdown thing that I was watching with my sisters and my dad. And there was one scene in a Spanish movie, I think is what it was, where someone's head was being very slowly pulled towards a splinter coming out of a wall. And I am squirming around on the couch as her eye gets closer and closer to it. They're not going to show that. Why would they put that in the movie? They're not going to show someone's eye being poked out by a piece of shrapnel. Obviously, I'm being a little bit overly dramatic in this case. And I'm watching it closer and closer and going, they're not going to show it. They're not going to show it. Oh, my God. They're showing it. Oh, my God. And I'm, like, screaming in disgust out loud as I watch it happen. And as you can imagine, my dad was laughing. Cue years and years and years later where I'm watching a movie that's starring J-Lo. I think it's called The Boy Next Door. It's got the guy that's from 911 in it where it's the guy is trying to seduce J-Lo, the mom, whatever. Anyway, the point is, is that one point in that movie, not no spoilers for this one because I don't know how many people are going to watch this movie, he gets stabbed in the eye. And I literally screamed in the theater, Oh, God, no! As soon as it happened. And I don't react to things in movie theaters. Like, I don't yell things out. I barely get jumped by jump scares. Like, I almost, I, I might make slight gross-out sounds or, like, roll my eyes at things. But man, I literally screamed in that theater because I could not stand watching that with his eye get cut. So, I distinctly remember this episode of Figure It Out, and that was an actual thing, and it does not surprise me that you basically can't find it ever again. However, there is a compilation of Figure It Out things on YouTube, where if you find a certain one, and you go to the timestamp of 3 minutes 48 seconds, you can watch that episode, that episode, you can watch that talent get played out. Do not say I didn't warn you if you are squeamish. So another thing of trivia for Figure It Out is how many prizes they had and how many times the prizes were won. So as you can probably imagine, some of the more interesting pieces of prize that you could get, which I actually would have enjoyed getting into this, would have been pieces of the Legend of the Hidden Temple set or the Global Guts set. And the Legend of the Hidden Temple set was won 34 times. And the Global Guts set was won 33 times. And if I'm not mistaken, when it came to a part of the Global Guts set, it was usually part of the aggro crag that they ended up winning at the end. Or maybe it was the trophy at the end where it literally looked like a gem piece of the aggro crag. Because I distinctly remember that being held in the person's hand. Some other parts of Nickelodeon shows that you can win parts, uh, excuse me, set pieces from. Were from Clarissa Explains It All, which has happened twice. Keenan and Kel, which happened twice. All That, which happened seven times. And Double Dare, which happened four times. Now, the other most sought-after prize 
other than the Nintendo 64 was the Jeffrey Dollars from Toys R Us, which is worth 13 times. Now, Jeffrey Dollars is pretty much like Coles Cash, where, or I guess more like a gift card, where you would just get money for Toys R Us, and you spent it at Toys R Us. That's the only place that you could actually spend it on. But if you were a kid in the 90s, and you had $500 that you could spend at Toys R Us, and a Nintendo 64 system cost about $120 at the time, which sounds like a lot, in the 90s it was, now not so much. But do you know how much damage you could do in a Toys R Us store for that? You could probably win half of these prizes if you got that from Toys R Us compared to winning it from this game show. Some of the other prizes that you could get were rollerblades slash roller skates slash scooters, which is won nine times. The Sega Saturn, which is won six times. Well, only six? Seems a lot more than that. Nintendo 64, which is won six times. A Huffy basketball hoop, which is won six times. Which I swear to God, that basketball hoop was won more than six times. I saw it in almost every freaking episode. I remember that specifically. And then you also could win the Yamaha electric drums, which is won nine times. And a $100 or $200 kids footlocker gift card, which is won nine times. A Vivitar camera, which is won six times. A Magna bike, which I remember as much as the Huffy basketball hoop, seven times. The $200 Toys R Us gift card, seven times. And then you also had a Jeep boombox, which was won four times. Which was actually probably something that a bunch of teens would have wanted more than kids. But just saying, just saying, boomboxes were actually all the rage back then. Some other prizes from round two were a $300 Toys R Us gift card, which is won 15 times. Nintendo 64 with 1080 snowboarding, which is won 10 times. And I love 1080 snowboarding. I was not good at that game whatsoever, but I love that game. Camping Gear, which is won nine times. And the Daewoo VCR, which is won eight times, which I remember as well because back then VCRs were probably sold nearly as much as VHSs at Best Buy. So then skipping on down to family style of Figure It Out, which I'm now realizing probably was not the best title for the rebrand. Neither was Wild Style now that I think about it, but whatever. Um, you can get 100 Jeffrey Dollars, which is won 14 times. The Huffy Bike, which is won 8 times. The Magna Bike, which is a lot cooler than the Huffy Bike, which is won 7 times. The Titan Bike, they gave away a lot of bikes, which was won 7 times. And an electronic sports game of basketball and football, which is won 7 times. In round 2 of that, which is where you can tell that they really upped the idea of getting prizes for families at the point. Uh, it was Nintendo 64 for 1080 Snowboarding or Banjo-Kazooie or Yoshi Story, which was on 19 times. Which, again, I would kill to have been able to actually win that game. When it went to Wild Style, the prize that was won the most was 100 Toys R Us Jeffrey Dollars, which was won 14 times. Then there was the Vertical Bike that was won 10 times. The Veriflex Skates, that was won eight times. And the $100 Lowe's Movie Pass, which was won seven times. I have never heard of Lowe's Movie Pass. And just so everyone knows, it's not L-O-W-E-S, it's L-O-E-W-S. So that might have been a Florida thing. Round two, the kids usually won, or the families usually won, 200 Toys R Us Jeffrey Dollars, which was won ten times. A Zenith see-through TV, which is won ten times. 
And see-through things were really, really popular in the 90s, so that was a great one to win. And the Nintendo 64 Acclaim Package, which was won 10 times. After that, the most well-known, I would say, prize that they won would have been the Yamaha Keyboard, which was won 9 times. So if I were to bring Figure It Out back now, I think that it could do well because people like to see talents that other people can do. Why else would a Maker's Got Talent still be able to run after all these years? And it's something I still watch almost every single year. But now you have so many other ways of people being able to see other people's talents and they go viral is that I think it could do well, but I think it would be harder to pitch simply because of the fact that everything can go viral and you could see it before it happens. So this little girl who could do a pig call, I'd probably see it in a video long before you were able to get it on figure it out as a hidden talent. And depending on the panelists, they may have seen it too, so may have to make the game harder or easier to try and make it something that they could actually get an episode out of. So then there's the other part too of who would the panelists be? So for someone who doesn't even really watch Nickelodeon much anymore, it seemed to be having a lot of a resurgence of live action shows, but also a resurgence of Nicktoons. I couldn't say for sure. So nowadays, I don't even know who you'd even have as the panelists. You primarily tend to have CG 3D like movies that pop up. So maybe the cast of like Monster High or something. But then they made the live action Monster High, so you could probably get the cast for that. They do have those movies, like they did have the specials of Are You Afraid of the Dark, so maybe you could do that. Again, I don't watch many shows on Nickelodeon now, so I don't even know if shows are really still going other than Spongebob. Or how well known or how popular they are. Because it seemed to me that once Dan Schneider left Nickelodeon, which that's not even a topic I'm going to even touch on this podcast... Dan Snyder specifically, I am going to talk about some of the shows, but I'm not going to talk about him. I don't think it has as much of a cultural appeal as it did. So then, who would you have as a panelist that kids would want to watch? If they were to bring Figure Out back now, I 100% think it should be with the, I want to say original cast, because they rotated out a lot. Like, hey, if you get Coolio back on Figure It Out, that would be really cool. But... If you could have it where it was figured out was primarily the same cast from the 90s, I think would be fun. But I'm also not quite sure how though that would work because I don't know if they would be so far past that at this point. Like, Danny Tamarelli and Josh Server, they were very, very, I want to say overly dramatic. They were very out there and unique and had a lot of energy and wanted to make people entertain. And that's what made some of the, the show very fun to watch. I do know that a good amount of the cast members went back to do Good Burger 2, which I still need to watch. And I'm sure they have no problem going back to do Nickelodeon and things like that. But I wonder if they'd be able to bring that same sort of fervor to the show. And if they do, that'd be freaking awesome. I would love it. I would watch the fuck out of that show. So then we had the panelist who would be the host. I would think that a good... I think Summer coming back as a host would be awesome. But I think if she and Jeff switched out... I think that'd be great too. Like if like how they did it for Jeopardy and they did that for Figure It Out. I think that would work well. Or if one of them was the host and the other one was the role of Jay, the host, that exp- the co-host, I guess, that explained what the prizes were. I think that would work because you could get both generations of fans of that show to watch it. 
and I guess in this case, have all the panelists who's ever been on it be on it, but I think the 90s ones were better, and yes, I am slightly biased. Don't at me. I think it could work for both of them, because Jeff has always been on Nickelodeon. He's been on it a long time. He understands what it's supposed to be, and I think that he did a great job as the host for his version, so he could definitely be on it again. It's, like I said, it's just the talents. I'm not sure if that would work. So, in this case, the 90s called, and I hope they don't bring back Figure It Out, because I would just enjoy it the way that I had it back in the 90s. So, we are going to move into the next segment of Wheel of Time, basically. So, I'm going to check to see, on this date, in 1993, what was going on in the world. Did I say 1993? I'm at 1994, my bad. So, on this day, in 1994, the NFL Pro Bowl at the Aloha Stadium in Honolulu, Hawaii, was played, where NFC beat AFC from 17-3. to And the MVP at the time was Andre Risen, who, hilariously enough, the only reason I know that name is because of uh, Lisa Lefty Lopez from TLC, who was with Andre Risen when they had a very tumultuous and public relationship. But... At the top of the music charts at the time, this number one song was The Power of Love by Celine Dion in the U.S. And in the U.K. it was Things Can Only Get Better by Dream. The most popular baby names were Michael for boys and Ashley for girls. The top movie at the box office was Mrs. Doubtfire. Green Day had recently released their album Dookie. And the songs Longview and Basket Case obviously were probably the, are probably more of the more popular songs from that album. And then you did have popular TV shows such as Murder, She Wrote, Walker, Texas Ranger, Married with Children, and Baywatch were the ones that people were watching the most. And then you did have games being played such as Tetris 2, Doom, and Jungle Strike. But then kids and teens were watching In Leaving Color, Are You Afraid of the Dark, Batman the Animated Series, and Tales from the Crypt Keeper. The most popular toys at the moment, though, were the Super Soaker Water Gun, which I still love, the Nerf Blaster, the Tiger 2XL Talking Robot, and the Nerf Aerostorm. So guys, today I'm actually going to end the episode by reading a comment that I got talking about my podcast. I'm really excited to be able to share this with you because, number one, I actually got it back in like October and had not seen it until just recently, but also because it really goes into why I like doing this. I just like talking to people about the 90s in general because, like I said, if you get me the opportunity to talk about my childhood, I'm going to talk ad nauseum about it. But it's also fun to have it where you get other people's thoughts and memories on it as well. So I'm going to read a comment from someone who I'll keep anonymous from Reddit. I got a message from them where they said, Okay, I don't normally message people I don't know on here, especially where I also use this account to occasionally post stories to no sleep and talk to narrators, but dude, am I ever glad you posted the comment about your podcast on my question about what stuff from the 80s and 90s people wanted to come back? I just got done listening to the episode you got out, and as someone who also grew up in the 90s, born right at the start in 1990, and especially as someone who's pretty much still stuck in the 90s, your podcast was not only fun and filled with the same amount of love and nostalgia I hold for it, but was fun and informative as well. Seriously, wicked fun to listen to and dope as hell. I'll add that one store I remember from my childhood, which you might not have had in your area, was a clothing store called Pier 1 Imports, which actually sold pretty good clothing. And I say that as a dude. 
Also, God, do I remember the music stores like Tower Records and Virgin Mega Stores. To say nothing of Blockbuster, that I could go on about for hours. But seriously, I look forward to checking out your new episodes. Great job. So I was really pleasantly surprised to find this message because, like I said, I got it ages ago, but I didn't see it. Because I'm doing this for myself. I'm doing it for fun. But like I said, it's very fun to hear your guys' memories of your childhoods or even teen years of the 90s of things that either I remember or I don't remember or that just really pings your nostalgia and makes it that you can look back on it fondly. It's really fun to do so much research for all this. And, like, I didn't even know some of the things I'm about to bring up in current... uh, Well, I'm currently recording them. But in episodes that are coming up, there are so many things I didn't know about my favorite shows and things from back then that I'm having so much fun researching now because it just takes me back to all my memories of being able to experience those things for the first time. And that's why I like talking about Figure Out for this. If you've never watched an episode of Figure It Out, I will go back and watch it on YouTube at times. It's just so much fun to watch people trying to play a game. And I think that's really why the 90s were so fun for all of us is that all we wanted to do was play, be kids and play games and watch our favorite panelists get slimed because it's fun watching our favorite celebrities from different shows get to do something other than their show and get guns for it. So in this case, I'll say... You know you're a 90s kid when you wanted to be on Figure It Out so you can win stuff and so you can watch your favorite celebrities get slimed. Don't forget to follow me on my social medias. I do have Instagram and Facebook where it's the 90s called pod. I do have the 90s called pod at gmail.com if you ever want to send me an email. I do also take messages on my Instagram and Facebook as well if you ever wanted to talk about the podcast or talk about a memory or share something or even just want to chat with me about some things as well. It doesn't have to pop up on the pod. Let me know if you do want it to be read out or not. I have no problem keeping you anonymous. I do have no problem also of keeping it as a conversation between us because I want everyone to feel safe if they ever want to have some sort of conversations or memories that they want to share or talk about as well. So you guys follow me there. I may add a TikTok at some point. I don't think so, but you never know. And I would love to hear anything that you guys want to share. I'm always open to chat. Thanks, guys. Have a good day.